0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 11 of That So Second Millennium. And I'm Bill Schmidt, privileged to be here with my friend, uh, Dr. Paul Giesing. And we're having a great time talking about all sorts of uh, issues in science, religion, physics, metaphysics, uh, the philosophy of science and philosophy in general. Uh, Paul, welcome back. Thanks for joining us.
1: Well, thank you, Bill. Always great for you to make the time to do this with me.
0: Mom, my pleasure. We were having a really interesting conversation uh last time about uh, intellectual citizenship and um it's uh it's a sticky wicket uh, to say the least. Uh it's something that our our, our uh, society needs more of, but I think what you were saying at the the end I would sum it up as um you know uh through uh, uh science uh And religion, and just through a a reasonably faith filled, reason reason filled
1: uh, life,
0: we're pretty good at uh, assembling facts and developing new factual understandings of everything.
1: Uh,
0: But we aren't necessarily as good, or at least as quick and efficient, at establishing the models of understanding into which we need to plug these facts. You can't have one without the other, and uh, perhaps uh, in our society we've gotten kind of sloppy about, uh, you know, now we're asking that uh, uh, we uh, have both simultaneously and at equally fast paces, and if we don't have both, then we're suspect of all sorts of things, uh, you know, falling into, uh, uh, you know, uh, pre-established modes of of, uh, partisanship or or hater status, or truther status, or this or that. So, right. uh, am I right that this this is this is where we are in intellectual citizenship today?
1: I mean, yeah, yeah. There's a whole uh, a whole flotilla of issues in that uh, in that squadron there that are that are problems. <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> a lot of mosquito. <laughs> I like <ghosts>. that <laughs> uh,
1: a lot of mosquito <laughs> ghosts, uh attacking us from all sides. But yeah. yeah. Um, Gosh, I I had a bit of a train of thought, but it derailed right outside the station. That's unfortunate.
0: Oh, uh, that's all right. That's all right. <laughs> just to think about, <laughs> you know, where
1: we left it, and talking about things like climate change, and the and the question of models and model-based thinking. Yeah. Okay. Here we go. I I needed to talk out loud for a moment, so I apologize, audience. Bear with me here. Um, just just to get to the point of saying, you know, so an interesting book that you pointed out to me. I think I may have mentioned it before. Um, the the death of expertise, and you know I would not say my 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 citing it by name in this podcast does not mean I agree with all of its points by any stretch, but it's certainly a provocative book um and one of the things that it's brought up you know I think he made a comment in passing and it's a comment that I've read other places you know the the author of that book is a uh russia slash Soviet union he's just old enough to have been you know educated um as as a Soviet Union expert, and of course now he you, know, you have to settle for being a Russia expert at this point. But you know one of the things he says in passing is, well, you know scientists don't make predictions, which is which you know I kind of read that as a scientist and you know looked at that and said that's a sort of covering your behind sort of statement. Now I've heard and sure. I said it before in other in other contexts, but I mean certainly in applied science like political science. Of course, sure. we're studying it to get to the point where we can make some sort of predictions. The problem sure. is when we over is when we make excessive demands, and you know, and and do things like the Italians. There was this awful case, I guess it's several years back now, where there were prosecutions drawn up against several Italian seismologists because they had failed to predict this earthquake. That's not possible i mean you can make a prediction to the point of you know i would expect this segment of this fault beneath italy or in the united states i would expect this segment of the san andreas fault to be more likely to have a large earthquake at all as opposed to having a seismic slip which is to say you know the the two the two sides of the fault slide past each other without generating big damaging earthquakes um or I would expect this segment to be more likely to have a large earthquake in the near future, but you know the the details of that case were such that if you know you read a few of them, and of course it's been since it's been five or seven years since I read about that, I don't have the details all at hand. But it was it was just making an, an atrociously excessive demand of the possibilities of the science now and possibly ever, off into the indefinite future. We may never be able to make predictions of that, you know, certainty. And so and so to turn around, you know, there there's a temptation to either dogmatize the predictions that are made and to turn them right. into deterministic statements of you know, to take some some pronouncement by, you know, the international I can't I can't even remember exactly what the organization is, but the international group that assembles predictions on climate change and tries to make some sort of consensus model that's that's a statistical statement they're telling you well based on what we think we know you know the laws of physics which we know very well and the remote sensing that we have of what conditions are across the planet which we know quite well and then our ability right. to construct a model that takes all that into account and uses that off into the future which we don't know very well that's the sticky part so that would be that yeah, would be yeah. back to intellectual citizenship to at least have some idea for for issues of great importance and climate change would be one of those to know right, where yeah. our breakdowns in to have an idea where our breakdowns in um, predictive ability are and in that case you know we have satellites we have however many satellites in orbit around this planet giving us information about you know and you, and you can get that sense from, you know, you can just look at Google Maps, right? You know, how <laughs> how many photos do we have of of the entire planet, you know, down to an a amazing level of detail? I've, I've, you know, looked at it like, oh, look, that photo is from back when there was, you know, my uh, my grandfather's old dead four-row combine was still parked out here by the back barn. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> you know, the level of detail we've got, right? So, so we know we yeah. know that very well. Not... Um, although a climate scientist might tell you you know not as well as we'd like and that's certainly true we're still increasing in terms of that we know so we so we have you know I've identified three classes of things that go into a climate model the basic physics of you know how gases expand and contract when they're heated and cooled and you know adiabatic lapse rate and the difference between wet and dry adiabatic lapse rate and I couldn't tell you those details but I know that we know you know I, I certainly am not going to you know spit them out into a uh, a podcast episode, but we know the physics of how wet and dry air behaves at different temperatures. We know that that's, that's not hard, but I mean, it was hard, but that work's been done. Um, We have a lot of information about climate, but what we, what we lack even today, even with as powerful computers as we have today, what we lack is the ability to run a detailed enough simulation. And that's true for climate, that's true for seismology. That's true for, you know, a, a wide range of things that I, in my particular expertise as a deep earth, you know, a, a, a geologist who's done a lot of work thinking about how the interior of the earth flows and, and moves with time. Um, we also right. lack the information. We also lack the ability to, to make our models so dense That we can apply all those laws of physics that we know very well to every node point in the model to get, you know, there's stuff that's going to get averaged out and and details that will get lost. And to just generally know that that's something that can cause a model to break down and not be adequately predictive for us. Right. And, you know, and so that will be true of, you know, we can take that and apply that to a bunch of other things. We can apply that to economics, right? right and say we have we have a lot of economic information we have censuses and we know about you know where people live but we don't know we we can't model their economic behavior in enough detail to know exactly how all of our macroeconomic decisions are going to play out
0: yeah
1: and we also don't know their dec- and in that case we don't know the quote physics as well because we don't know how people would, we're not as savvy about economic decision making we still have the sort of, you know, rational actor model that we know really isn't completely adequate because people make all yes. sorts of non-optimal decisions. You know, in terms of you know what's going to make me the most money for a variety of reasons. Right. Yeah, bad.
0: right.
1: And to, yeah. to just be aware of that, and and to to be able to say that okay, that's modular. I can pick that up and take that and move that over to you know another another field of study that I don't, I'm not necessarily an expert in, but to, but to know that that's how the world works and to have a certain amount of, of, you know, knowing that I would ask that question. What are the components that go into this model, at least on a broad level, and which of those are we really actually certain about, and which of these are things that, you know, we don't have control over or we don't have the resources necessary to come to a, a solution. So for all of these scientific questions, and then that's an awful lot of what we ask a modern government to deal with, are these economic and physical science questions that
0: govern our problem. And and, uh, they're naturally better at uh, accumulating facts uh, than they are at accumulating the models so they kind of just uh, leave themselves in the hands of the lobbyists and and constituents and and others who uh, just come along with the handiest model of the moment that serves their purposes, rather than right. pursuing consistently a uh, you know for for the long haul the, the best possible model that will work with with the facts we're learning, huh? Is that right? Right and yeah, that's that's a that's a recipe for disenchantment with our government and with science and with religion and everything. Right, right, yeah, yeah. So, it sounds like it's really a, a very difficult job to be uh response, to take a, a responsible approach to intellectual citizenship.
1: Well, I mean, it is it is something that will demand something of us, and we we are going to have to make decisions you know, implicitly we're making decisions all the time and this is, you know, this is another sort of fundamental belief or a, a fundamental observation from behavioral so to speak behavioral economics is that we're making uh-huh. there's there's there is an opportunity cost for time for everything that we're doing.
0: Right?
1: And you know, no matter what we're doing, we're making a choice to use that time for that activity rather than for something else. And yeah. Just to think about a very practical example in my life, I spent, you know, two and a half days this week basically attempting to resuscitate a water heater at this house that I sort of accidentally own in Indianapolis, which is a long story I won't reduce here. <laughs> but that's, you know, at some point I have to come to the conclusion that, you know, I need to bring in someone else who knows more than I do or, you know, or whose time, you know, will be more effectively spent on that than my time will be because, you know, some We're of
0: right. other demands
1: in my life. Is, is to the point where it, it requires my attention. Whether it's you know, and of course, you know, doing this podcast is a this is a conscious decision on my part to spend this time on this and yours, you know, as as well. And I'm grateful for that yeah. because I know that it's a cost for you. It's a cost for you, and it's right. a cost for me. And we, we're we're learning something, and we're we're contributing something. Right.
0: That's no problem. Yeah. So, but but what is the uh, what is the best mix then for pursuing um, pursuing a more responsive intellectual uh, citizenship in the in the future? Can, uh, can we have uh, uh, more patience with ourselves and with others about the, uh, these decisions about how to spend our time, given yeah. the fact that we don't know we don't know what models what will 100% be optimal for the facts that we're learning.
1: Right. I mean, and that's that's and that's where we come to another question of you know the Aristotelian mean is that on the one hand we need to be conscious of what we're spending our time on, and yet on the other hand we can't possibly afford to be so hung up on that as if we had all the information about what would be the best possible use of our time. We have to go out and try things, and we have to get messy, so to speak. And I love and it. Uh-huh. And then look back at the results of what we've tried you know do do the best thing at you know, what what appears to be the best thing at any given moment and trust that ultimately you know <laughs> there's two possibilities right um there's either there's either a god that cares about us and has you know all power or at least that these are these are the these are the possibilities that i see as as actually likely. There's either a a God that has, cares about us and has all power and has, you know all things really are completely under control. And right. whatever I do fail to do is ultimately not going to prevent myself or anyone else, you know, from having a happy eternity, which is going to right. outvote all comfort in this life. or else, you know, or else I live in a universe with, you know, no guiding, you know being. And I'm going to, you know, at at death, I'm going to go extinct and there's going to be no more of, you know, and so what will it matter to me whether I was happy at that point? And any effect I might have on other people is going to be washed out by the entropy of history, you know, all of other people's choices and everything, you know, every chance that everyone has to forget anything that may have been a consequence of anything that I have done, you know, at some point that will simply, you know, that, that will simply go away. And if the, if the human race will not, in fact, you know, send itself extinct through nuclear war or something like that, um, in which wow. case why I worry about it. There's, yeah, uh. there's only two possibilities, and in either of them, if I pursue them to the logical extreme, I don't know why I should worry about it that much. I mean,
0: <laughs> right. it
1: brings me back to, okay, well, let me make the best use of time that I can, but let me not worry about it because I don't have that information and it doesn't matter that much. I am just yeah. I am just one small hobbit in a large world, after all. Is that isn't that how uh, Tolkien ends uh, ends the Hobbit? I think. Ah, f- uh, I
0: love it. It's right. a fabulously
1: Catholic statement.
0: Yeah.
1: I'm back it a little bit.
0: I love it. Uh huh. But but we uh, should do what we can,
1: and 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 so yeah. you know that that. That's the sort of message of hope, I guess, is that, you know, this intellectual citizenship thing is not going to demand more of us than we can possibly contribute, either because, you know, if we live in an atheistic universe, then nothing is making demands of us. It really doesn't matter because nothing matters or, you know, or if there is, you know, a loving God or at least a caring and understanding God or at least a universe that in some arbitrary sense you know, in some strange sense, like the Buddhist universe, which is atheistic and yet it has these sort of moral principles. Um, right. The universe somehow right. cares and has um, has some sort of compassion on us, effectively, um, yeah. and is, is willing to forgive us our, you know, the fact that we are what we are, which is very limited. So yeah. let's go out and try. You know, take take an issue that you know is really important to you, or that you worry about, or you hear a lot of people or that you're just curious about, you hear people talking about you want to know more, start from there and and look around for what the, what the basic principles and the ground rules are. Right. And then as we were sort of talking about uh, before we started this episode, you know, there's the whole question of what do I do with myself in the modern world? And I don't know about every human being like, you know, Aquinas has the statement that I believe, you know, man naturally seeks knowledge and there's, this sort of implicit you know, belief, you know, confidence that really everyone wants to know the truth. And right. there are a lot of days when I sort of scratch my head and think, Thomas, that may have been a little optimistic.
0: <laughs>
1: <Right>.
0: <laughs> they want to know what, uh, what convenient truth will get them through uh, the present moment a lot of times. Right.
1: They have a very utilitarian uh, perspective on it. But, you know, for, for anyone who might be listening to this podcast, uh, probably, you know, we we can focus on, you know, we all have something that we can become an expert at, and, and hopefully we do it from a generous point of view of wanting to use our expertise for something to help other people, um, and that, you know, obviously, you know, we would then use it to, to as as uh, Jesus says, that you know, the workman is is worth his pay. So that we can, yeah. you know, get enough to live and, uh, to bring up our families. Right. But, uh, but to, to then use that expertise also as a yardstick to evaluate other people. Since after all, we have both the political and intellectual need to evaluate other people's claims. Are people, other people putting in the work? Are other people, you know, aware, exhibiting some sort of awareness Of the limitations of their knowledge, or are they going off cocksure and, you know, and we can use our being an expert in something else as a rough guide to are they asking the right sort of questions? Are
0: you all right? Yeah. Yeah. And we have to just stay in collaboration with each other. and not give, up the, not give up the battle, not give up the pursuit of models and of better models, and to kind of collaborate on them, and ultimately, better models will emerge. Yeah.
1: Well, not to put you on the spot, but to put you on the spot, as, <laughs> as a journalist, um, I'd be really interested, I think it'd be really relevant to what we're talking about, if you had some sort of basic guidelines in terms of interpreting journalism. And and maybe some commentary on how that has changed over the course of your career and the the world that you now see yourself in and and what we should be watching out for when we digest, um, you know, the contents of media. And, of course, it seems like an ever-increasing share of that is is punditry rather than reporting.
0: Yes. That's a very good point. I have been giving it a lot of thought, and I can probably give a, a better answer uh in, in later episodes, but that's a wonderful challenge to me to to try to do that. The bottom line is that uh yes, I think journalists have uh taken that next step toward trying to uh provide more models of understanding through punditry rather than simply presenting facts and having enough faith in our society uh readers and intellectual citizens um that well give them give these folks the facts and let's talk about them together and ultimately better and better models will be emerging uh, the models are kind of being now prefabricated by strategists and pundits and advocates for particular causes and everybody's kind of coming to the realization that well these are the models that we have we have nothing else. We'd better stick to them. And in fact, we'd better get kind of militant in our advocacy of them uh, or else the facts we're learning mean nothing. And so it's a very uh, – where journalism is headed toward a kind of dead end too unless we become much more patient in the pursuit of better and better uh, models.
1: Yeah, and then the, the question of what will – what will turn people's expectations and behaviors in that direction.
0: Yes. Yes. Uh, And it's certainly not, it's certainly not the kind of uh, polarization model of journalism that's, uh, that's growing today. We, we have to avoid that if we want to, if we want to get that, uh, that model uh, improved. Right. Right. Yeah. Very interesting. So it's, it even extends to, journalism and to very much about uh, how we govern ourselves, etc. cetera. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a real challenge. Um, and I also like uh, your point about how uh, models are also very much a part of of religious
1: understanding. I was going to
0: ask we, if, you, if you
1: wanted us to bring that in here. Well, we can bring that in at the yeah. end. It's a nice practical take-home point, perhaps, to, uh, to, leave, sure. the, yeah. to leave this episode. Um, right. so the idea of, you know, so you brought up the idea of whether we do model-based thinking in religion, and my you know yeah. my gut instinct was to say yes. And the first example that came to mind was to think about the Catholic you know concept of of examining the lives of the saints as a model for us to to uh, to use in order to govern our lives, and that we have we can we can infer from lives of the saints, certain models of behavior, you know, whether we, um, whether we take an example like St. Augustine, you know, maybe we find ourselves, you know, maybe, maybe person, a particular person finds himself in a situation where he's been, you know, sort of pursuing life in a very you know, Augustinian in the sense of Augustine's early life sense, and you sort of infer certain details, because of course you're not going to lead Augustine's exact life. Right. Um, no one else has and no one else ever will. But right. what what are the common elements and what would that look like in your life? Can you construct a sort of you could construct a certain model and you would probably want to bring other saints into it as well. You know, like you know, I've heard that Francis had a certain <laughs>
0: amount of you
1: know or or Ignatius of Loyola or or other right. people who aren't coming to my mind but you know, you would find in in terms of reading about people whether they're canonized or not, people who, you know, experienced the conversion from a, you know, a, a life of worldly ambition and, you know, and a, a life that included, you know, sexual morality of, you know, just kind of doing what other people were doing. And, you know, I mean, very much, obviously, Augustine's early life was very much like a lot of people's lives today, where, you know, they just sort of shack up and have a child or two. And that's just right. sort of the way that it happened. to happen. And then right. to look at the look at the principles of, OK, well, how do I get from there? But wh- how do I get from here to, you know, do I am, am I going toward Augustine's goal, which which aspects of his life should I emulate and which aspects of his life should I? You know, so there's, there's, there's a lot of a lot of the same elements that go into constructing a scientific model, go into, you know, interpreting the lives of the saints or, you know, or characters from scripture or people that, you know, you know, pe- people that you've heard of, people in, hopefully in your own life that you admire where you have a lot of information and could talk right. to them, guide what questions you ask them in terms of what, you know, what led you from where you were to where you are because I want some of what you have. Yeah. And that, that involves yes. a lot of that sort of model-based thinking.
0: Right. Yeah, we have to stop thinking of models and the, uh, the action of... um uh, having and using models as some kind of dead end. Having a model and constantly working on it is a is an active thing, is a pursuit, is a yeah. lifetime pursuit, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's
0: it's it
1: goes into science, it goes into engineering, but it's not unique. I mean, that's that's the point that I you know I think I'd like to <laughs> I I'd have I'd like listeners to come away with from you know several of these episodes that we've been recording here is that what the kind of thinking that goes into science is not unique to science it's not something that people all of a sudden started doing in the 17th century and that's a completely new departure and for that matter that it's something that only these specialized people should do it's right. it's it's a common human you know looking at looking at the world looking at a situation that i'm in and you know seeing whether my ideas actually work out or not right and then and then trying something different Yeah. for the the, the the parts that don't work. And then, of course, you need to hang on to the parts that do work.
0: Uh, correct, uh, exactly.
1: That's usually yeah, not the problem good. that people have. You know, most of us hang on to things far too long, but we can, you know, it, it's certainly possible I can testify to be too critical and to be, you know, to just throw up my hands and, and throw ideas away that I have not really done anywhere near the adequate amount of testing to say, Oh, well that was, you know, and as a matter of fact, that that actually has a lot of value to it. Um, but it's just again, so for example, perhaps it's a statistical thing and it works 75% of the time, but I had a couple of uh, I had a couple of snake eyes roll up, you know, in the <laughs>
0: right. first few times
1: that I tested it. Maybe it's a skill that I don't have. Yet. I mean, all all sorts of things. But that, but that's also yeah, right. all a scientific sort of thinking. And that's but it's yes. very practical and people have been doing it, you know, as long as there have been people.
0: Well, that's right. That's right. We have to continue that process. Yeah. Well, maybe we should. Uh, uh, well, obviously, this is a, another kind of um, ongoing undercurrent of our entire conversation huh, that we've really just started to uncover, yeah. although it flows naturally from everything yeah. we've been talking about so far. Uh, I, lo- I love how these these last two episodes
1: have both sprung from a uh, you know a line in your email. Please describe more what is intellectual citizenship. <laughs> that,
0: <laughs> well, you know what? In a future episode, I'll explain what was on my mind uh, specifically regarding that because I think it would it might uh, help to take our we haven't even uh, touched on uh, it yet uh, even further. Yeah, yeah. So, there's a, but this is <laughs> this is exactly this has been a very good. A deeper understanding of it that uh, is a prelude to uh, to much much further good conversation to come. But uh, so we'll say so long to our listeners now, Paul, and uh, get ready to uh, uh, talk again soon.
1: Yeah, definitely. Looking forward to it.